0: welcome to the amazing nerd show now figuring out where we are in time strap in folks the nerds have arrived bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast nerds the worlds of gaming horror tv and film have collided right here this will be your finest hour
1: Hey, this is Christian.
2: Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the season finale of Ahsoka, along with the season premiere of Loki.
1: Plus, I've got a review for Saw X, and we're talking the aftermath of AEW's wrestle dream. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors
2: of nerddom. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning,
0: potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned.
1: Quick Show note before I get started, Damon is under the weather this week, so we'll be doing things a little differently. I'm going to be doing the news solo, but you'll still hear from him in a little bit um, when we get to Ahsoka and, of course, wrestling as well. But to get into this week's news, we're looking at a bunch of Marvel stories. As rumors came in this week from industry insider My Time to Shine, Hello, who posted potential spoilers for the direction of Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. As apparently in Kang Dynasty, and again, potential spoilers here, the main Avengers team, or the 616 team, whatever you want to call them at this point, will lose to the Council of Kangs. And then in Secret Wars, the TVA will be sending in a multiversal team of Avengers that they have recruited to save our current Avengers and defeat Kang once and for all. This team is suggested to be led by Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and feature Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool, and others that have been made clear just yet. Um, this story would be a massive departure from the original Secret Wars, but I could see some ways where they might be able to potentially combine whatever they're doing with Kang Dynasty with elements of Secret Wars. As we know incursions are actually happening as we speak, you know, thanks to what's been going on with Doctor Strange. I don't think I have any personal issues with, you know, maybe the Council of Kings potentially filling in that Doctor Doom like role. You know, this could be a situation where they're all trying to work together to build a universe in their own vision in a similar fashion to the way that the man who remains had done before them. But that's really just speculation on my part. Who knows if this is, you know, genuinely actually how these two films are gonna go. But I do like the concept of a TVA team. And I wonder if characters from What If could also be joining that team since we already have seen them have their own multiversal group of Avengers, essentially. Um, Kang Dynasty is set for May 1st, 2026, with Secret Wars following the next year on May 7th, 2027. Speaking of What If, we did get a quick update on a rumor we spoke upon a couple weeks ago about, you know, the titles for the next season's episodes, which can we get some toast and my time to shine. Hello, actually corroborated on what they say would actually be the official list of episodes, uh, which includes what if Nebula joined the Nova corpse? What if Peter Quill attacked um, Earth's mightiest heroes? What if Kahori reshaped the world? Um, Kei Hori, of course, is the new character being introduced for what if, um, what if hella found the 10 rings what if iron man crashed into the grand master which was apparently the episode that was going to be in the first season but got pushed to this season um what if happy hogan saved christmas what if captain carter fought hydra stopper what if um the avengers assembled in 1602 which should be a weird one um what if strange supreme intervened which what could he possibly intervene with? Maybe that will play into the larger scope of the MCU. That's kind of my guess right now, but again, speculation. But either way, what if season two is still expected for a late December, um, early January release? So we'll hopefully see. Something of it soon like an actual trailer giving us an official like hard date for when this is coming out. Speaking of release dates, we also got an update for Iron Hearts as the direct claims that Marvel filed for Iron Hearts premiere with the US Copyright Office setting the date for the show on September 3rd, 2025. This would of course make for another delay for this series that was originally pushed into 2024. And again, could be a big sign of further delays, you know, since things are kind of starting to head- in the right way. Uh, we're getting negotiations for SAG After, but who knows when things will be officially underway for any Marvel project, so you know keep that in mind whenever I bring up dates of things coming out. Lastly, for Marvel, after last week's story on you know how the MCU is gearing up to finally start working on an X-Men reboot. Can we get some toast claim that the team would not actually feature Wolverine in its debut lineup? Now, the original X-Men team did not start with Wolverine as much of a fan favorite character as he is, the originals were actually Angel, Beast, Cyclops, Iceman, and Jean Grey, of course. And I'm not surprised that the MCU may start with a similar, if not same, lineup. Um, For those clamoring for the MCU's Wolverine, in general, um, I would assume they will start him in probably a solo project first and maybe build him up into the team as well. If not, have him make a cameo in a future film to start him off. I mean, to be honest, I feel like, you know, there's a ton of options for them to either, you know, do specials, TV series, or um, solo films for a lot of different X-Men characters that they most likely will try and capitalize on, as the mutants are a massive part of the Marvel Universe. You know, we've only started to really scratch the surface of mutant kind in, you know, the MCU, especially after, you know, now learning that Kamala Khan is a mutant in the MCU. I doubt any of that will be explored in the Marvels any further, but maybe after um, Deadpool will start to get, you know, really our big glimpses of what's going on with the X-Men going forward. Another Disney news, um, they may actually be considering a second season for Ahsoka per a report by deadline. Um, their sources claim that while not greenlit yet, discussions with Lucasfilm have actually begun on potentially adding a season two, you know, further exploring the events following the finale before Filoni's you know air to the Empire film. You know, this makes me wonder though, that if they're considering doing this as a season two, then maybe they're probably going to do a Mando season four rather than making it into a film as we've heard in rumors past. Um, but I won't spoil anything for um, the season finale of Ahsoka here as we're about to talk about it in a few moments So I'll get into that during our breakdown uh, Other than that we had a horror story this week um, about the recent VHS 85 film that debuted exclusively on Shudder Apparently director of the black phone Scott Derrickson part of the VHS anthology has a direct tie-in to the black phone that many have yet to notice apparently the young girl featured in the black phone gwen is discussed by her cousin gunther who talks about her and her family's abilities in the phone in a phone call segment which is something that derrickson explained to comicbook.com a sequel to black phone has yet to be announced but it seems that the director has at least no qualms in keeping that universe alive in other projects one can only speculate that his interest to make a sequel is definitely there and
0: now for the nerds breakdown of episode 8 of ahsoka Heavy spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Play, play. No. Oh. this ever happened before?
2: No. All right, Christian, so before we get started, Happy 300 episodes. Um, you know, this being our 300th episode, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> now, we were planning on doing like a giveaway or something like that, but I've been bedridden for most of this week with Strep Bro. Um <laughs> That's why I'm only on part of this episode, uh, but I mean it's a testament to how much I love Ahsoka that I'm even willing to do this right now because right now every time I fucking swallow, it feels like you know I'm
1: swallowing razor blades. So um, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say something how much I love you guys, the listeners, but no, it's Ahsoka. <laughs> uh, well, yes, of course the fans. I mean, definitely not you. Like I. <laughs> Three <laughs> three hundred episodes,
2: be damned. Um, it uh, iTunes. I don't know what the fuck's going on with that, or Apple Podcasts, wherever the kids call it nowadays. But they're saying it's like episode three hundred two, which the fuck? Yeah, I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's three hundred. So, um, I I think our math is right. So this is our three hundredth episode. Um, you know, but it, it has been a blast getting this far. Um, uh, and, you know, here's to another 300 episodes. Here,
1: here, and also we'll, we'll probably still do a giveaway in the next couple of weeks. So keep an ear out for that in the upcoming episodes. But also before we move on, uh, like I said, I've been sick all
2: week. So th- the finale feels like a fucking fever dream to me. So if I'm, <laughs> if I start misremembering things, I apologize. Christian will keep us on course, uh... But with that being said, let's go ahead and get into it.
1: We kick off the finale of Ahsoka with Thrawn as Morgan relays information to him about the completion of the cargo transfer for the Sisters. However, as Thrawn gives the order to begin docking the Star Destroyer to the Eye of Sion, Enoch informs Thrawn they have located the Jedi's position. Thrawn then orders two TIE fighters to go intercept them, but Morgan believes there's, you know, little that the Jedi can even do to stop them at this point. Why put in the effort? Thrawn knows better though, claiming, you know, even he has underestimated the Jedi before, which, you know, led him to Peridia. See, what makes Thrawn different though, is like any
2: other cackling villain would send out an entire fucking fleet of his soldiers trying to, you know, kill Ahsoka and Ezra. But Thrawn mm-hmm. is like, no, just two TIE Fighters. If we get them, we get them. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're getting the fuck out of here. He has been very careful with his resources because he knows he's got a war ahead of him, so. No, absolutely, and that's what makes him different. You know, that that's what makes him the master strategist that he is.
1: With their time on this planet soon coming to an end, the Night Sisters show their gratitude to Morgan Elsbeth by granting her the power of the shadows. Morgan is quick to take the pledge as the Great Mother's marks Morgan's face and eyes, pouring the power into her skin. It seems after which the Night Sisters forge a blade that Morgan is able to ignite with shadow magic, called the Blade of Towson. Now, this blade has actually shown up before in the Clone Wars for Mother Talzin, who duelled Mace Windu with it in season six. Did you just call this shadow magic, Christian?
2: I, I mean, I don't feel like that's official. Like that, that's not the official terminology.
1: <laughs> it's not the force, but it's well, the shadows. I, well, no, I they mean, call
2: what... it. They just say shadow, right? Do they say yeah, shadow magic? They just magic? say shadows.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, now, do you think this is how all of the night sisters get the markings on their faces? Like, do they all have the shadow power? Is that is that the deal?
1: I'm not sure because like I just assumed that it was something that they were like, it was innate. It was something that were born with. But maybe, you know, at a certain age, like if you come to age, they give them the abilities and it's like something that they pass down. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to read up on
2: my Sister lore because I don't know if like Clone Wars ever really covered that. Um, I just always assumed it was something that they were born with, but obviously not. Well,
1: that would be a perfect opportunity for Tales of the Jedi to do like an Assage Ventress, like, you know, as a child storyline.
2: Yeah. I mean, my guess it is like some sort of initiation or whatever. Um, I mean, you could see what a big honor Morgan felt like this was, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it was like a rite of passage or something. So, um, I don't
1: know. It was a cool moment. I mean, she clearly had some type of power beforehand because she was able to ignite that orb. Yeah, but I, I feel like that was just, like, you know, sorcery.
2: You know, okay. so, um, I, I'm guessing this is, like, you know, peak night witch. Witchy pooness. <laughs> <laughs> we're, de- we're definitely going to have to do some, you know, reading up on the night uh-huh. obviously. <laughs> I also don't think witchy pooness is canon. Right. No. It's
1: not. <laughs> from one blade to another as we rejoin Ezra, Sabine, and Ahsoka who are guiding the Nodi across Paridia. which inside the ship we see in live action Ezra and Hu Yang constructing a lightsaber. The two argue over how it is to be put together, and as Hu Yang asks who even taught him how, Sabine cuts in to say that Kanan Jara taught Ezra how to build his lightsaber, which Ezra then comes to find out that Hu Yang actually taught Kanan. Hu Yang then gives Ezra a matching emitter to Kanan, lightsaber as he had a backup for him in case he ever needed one. So I'm sitting here, you know, watching this and I'm like, oh my god, the fucking
2: nerdgasm that Christian's having right now. I can't even fucking imagine <laughs> watching Ezra shuffle through some drawers looking for <laughs> spare pieces to put together his lightsaber. Did he even, did he make a crack about um how narrow it is or it was like too narrow? Yes. Shit?
1: Yes, they made There's fun of total- the, the fact the, yeah from the, the rebels yeah
2: the, the fact that all the rebels lightsabers were weird looking for some reason uh-huh. um i i knew you were just celebrating you know every second of this uh, it was it was a real nice moment though
1: i mean i can't uh-huh. lie so um, no my, my girlfriend found me unbearable in the moment uh-huh. for sure <laughs> yeah just quivering on the ground naked like
2: <laughs> like dear god should i be jealous um now here's my question though christian were you disappointed that they didn't explain why his lightsaber color changed? Because it's green on the show.
1: Sabine so still has his original lightsaber. Well, yeah, and but I, why didn't he just keep the green color, though? I don't know. And is well in Jedi lore, like the crystal chooses the Jedi bullshit like that. But it's like, is Ahsoka also carrying around extra kyber crystals on ship? Like, how does she have access to that?
2: I mean, I'm assuming so, especially since she's running with Hugh Yang, right? Um, mm-hmm. it looks like she is like a, a makeshift, like, you know, lightsaber lab. So, I mean, it would only make sense. I just, I mean, I, they just, they didn't bother explaining why his, you know, saber color changed. you know? So I, yeah. I was kind of curious if they were going to eventually give a reason behind that, but like off the top of my head, I can't think of a moment like on screen where we've had like a character explain their lightsaber color like that's pretty much just been kept on like in books and shit like
1: yeah I I mean I feel like there's probably stuff in Clone Wars where they're teaching the younglings about the colors but beyond that I I can't like everything else has been very much just book lore based you know stuff
2: so if I'm remembering right like green is more like wisdom and, like, force space, but then what, what's Blue?
1: Blue is more of, like, a warrior, which, in the moment, I thought he was creating this lightsaber for Sabine so he could take back his own, because at, at this point, it seems like he would be more of a green, you know, lightsaber user. That's what I was gonna say, right? Yeah. I'm sure he's not gonna take back the lightsaber,
2: though, since he gifted it to her, uh-huh. so... Um, you know, maybe eventually we get a scene between the two where he teaches her how to build a lightsaber, or maybe, like, Hugh Yang, you know, teaches her. But anyway, we're getting, like, deep in the weeds right now, so...
1: (laughs) let's continue on with the show sabine quickly leaves the scene after seeing ezra ignite the saber ezra then asks you know what actually happened to her while he was gone hyu yang explains that while ahsoka tried to train her the night of a thousand tears took place and ahsoka feared what would happen if sabine were to unlock her full potential after the death of her family yeah you could tell when like hu yang was talking about the importance of the relationship
2: between the master and the Apprentice, how that really like resonated with Sabine, since she hasn't always had the strongest relationship with Ahsoka. With that being said, I'm glad that you know we finally got the explanation on why that you know actually is. It absolutely makes sense that if Sabine was in the middle of her training, you know, while the night of a thousand tears takes place, it would absolutely affect her motivations for becoming a Jedi. Um, um, you know, I, I couldn't understand why Ahsoka would be fearful of, you know, continuing her training, knowing that it could eventually turn her to the dark side, you know, that, you know, quest for vengeance. So I'm sure seeing Sabine at her weakest, knowing that, you know, she could possibly turn to the dark side if she continued the training, that she thought better of it and decided to walk away instead. Um, you know, I'm sure it was a tough decision, but in the long run, you got to think it, it was the right one.
1: Yeah, I mean, knowing Sabine's impulsive nature as it is, I mean, I can only imagine her fully unlocked with the Force, uh, seeing her parents diminished in that way, and planets. And I think even the strongest, you know, Jedi would be tempted at that point. So, um, yeah. Sabine then goes out for some air to find Ahsoka meditating on the roof of the ship. Ahsoka makes Sabine aware that she knows of the choice she made. Sabine is surprised by Ahsoka's calmness about her choosing to help Balin, but Ahsoka explains over her time she too made difficult choices similar to Sabine, but throughout all of them her master always stood by her side, which Ahsoka vows to do the same for Sabine. Yeah, I mean, I talked about this last podcast. The the first two
2: seasons of Clone Wars is literally Ahsoka disobeying orders Uh (laughs) and going and saving Anakin's ass, even though, you know, it it could cost them the mission. So I'm glad that you know, Ahsoka at least acknowledged that, (laughs) because it'd be pretty hypocritical if she didn't,
1: right? While Sabine and Ahsoka continue to talk on how Sabine is developing her powers, the two TIE fighters that Thrawn sent out swoop in and start blasting upon their ship and the Nodi. Ahsoka then has Ezra help her under the ship by using the force to help carry it across and block laser fire, while Sabine gets in the cockpit and sends the ship flying right at the two TIE fighters, effectively blowing them up while also damaging Ahsoka's ship in the process. Which. Does the ship not have front guns? Are they not able to fire forward? I, I don't know, Christian. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I mean, it aside, um, I love seeing, you know, two Jedi team up, uh, you know, I mean, besides the prequels, like, we don't get to see that that much, right? Like, besides like, you know, what we got with like, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan running around together, you know, buddy cop style. Um, we really haven't seen that live action. You know, why is that much? So um, it was definitely cool this episode, you know, seeing like three Jedi, you know, in action at once.
1: Enoch then gives an update to Thrawn after losing contact with the TIE fighters. Thrawn knows that their next move will have to be a ground assault. Morgan is then seen preparing troops to stay back and fight for Ahsoka. Morgan is then seen preparing troops that have apparently volunteered for this job to stay back and fight Ahsoka.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a real testament to just how loyal Thrawn's troops are to him. Um, And we saw that, like, from the get-go. Like, once they were, like, revealed and everything like that, they're literally all chanting Thrawn. Um, So, like, he's got, like, a cult-like leader sway over, you know, his men. I mean, they're willing to sacrifice themselves for Thrawn. Because even if they're successful, they're not getting off the planet. Um, So, I mean, that, that says a lot like to the loyalty, not only to the Empire, but I, I. it almost feels like it's more about, you know, their loyalty
1: to Thrawn, the man. I mean, I know Thrawn in this sequence is, you know, asking if they, you know, are are cool with this, but you know, something give me real like this is which, you know, influence vibes from the sequence. Like, but why would he even bother asking though? What I know I'm sure so. it's not the case, but it's like, Something about it made me feel like the Night Sisters also have maybe programmed these guys to be even more loyal to Thrawn than we
2: know. I'm wondering if they filled them in the fact that they would get reanimated, like if they fallen. Mm, yeah. You know, which you know, <laughs> was pretty fucking awesome, but we'll talk about that in a little bit.
1: At the crash ship, Hugh Yang stays back to fix it and watches on as Ahsoka, Sabine and Ezra charge towards the Star Destroyer on Hobblers. The three then have to dodge a rainfall of lasers coming from the Star Destroyer while also using the force to push open a gate to clear space. And Ahsoka even has Sabine try pushing the gate as they narrowly make it through. This is kind of what I was talking about, like three Jedis on fucking horseback, you know,
2: literally dodging a storm of fire. Uh, I mean, you don't get more fucking badass than that, right? (laughs) No. Uh, now during the scene when Ahsoka asks Sabine to help also, I thought, Oh, that's adorable. She's trying to make her feel like she's part of the team. (laughs) now little did we know what was going to happen later on. But at first, you know, it felt like when I asked my daughter to help me, like, carry in the groceries, you know, and she's only going to carry in one bag as I have like two (laughs) armfuls of grocery bags.
1: I was like, Thanks, honey. Uh, that's what this felt like to be at first you know but obviously you know there was more to come yeah you don't know it could have been also being there the the rest of them could have been failing at that moment you have no idea (laughs) <laughs> or she did jack shit. <laughs> and that was all fucking Ezra and Ahsoka. Inside, the three of them are met by night troopers, while above, Thrawn goes to the Night Sisters for extra aid. Ezra, Sabine, and Ahsoka use lightsabers and blasters to get through the troops, but above, they are unaware of an evil chant by the Night Sisters, who are bringing back all their defeated troops from the grave. So, this was the moment that I had my nerdgasm. Two of my favorite
2: things, intermingling horror and Star Wars. (laughs) This was awesome. Um, Just watching those troopers reanimate and come back to life and attack our heroes. Um, Some of them just like marching slowly towards them without even blasters. Uh, Pretty fucking awesome, man. Pretty awesome.
1: I'm guessing that Morak has to be the the same as them, but I never saw any smoke rise from any of the clone troopers after they get attacked again. I'm not sure. Like,
2: I, I don't know if it's a case if maybe Morak is literally just a spell and he didn't actually exist prior. Hmm. Because you're right, like before this, I, I was assuming that he was just a reanimated Inquisitor. But, you know, after this, seeing that, you know, these troopers weren't just like, you know, puffs of smoke. Um, yeah, I, I have no clue. I'm sure it'll be explained in, like, some, you know, Star Wars encyclopedia that'll come out next year. Uh (laughs) That's usually how all this works. Um, But, you know, for now, we can just sit here and, you know, theorize and, you know, waste a whole lot of time and energy over some intern, you know, working for Filoni is going to explain away in, like, two sentences. With all that being said, I do like that they kept all this kind of a mystery since we know that we haven't seen the last of them too. So all jokes aside, I'm sure we'll probably get more of an explanation somewhere down the line.
1: I just need the armorer bashing in zombies, you know? (laughs) oh I'm sure that's coming I'm
2: sure we're gonna get a whole fucking battle scene of you know night troopers versus Mandalorians and it's gonna be glorious
1: escaping up the stairs our three heroes barricade behind the blast doors Enoch you know again updates Thrawn on the Jedi's positioning you know and how they've gotten past the troops which then Thrawn turns to Morgan Elsbeth and gives her the order to stay behind and give the rest of them enough time to escape you know, in the name of the Empire. As Thrawn and the Night Sisters board the Star Destroyer, Morgan Elsbeth whispers for Dathomir instead. The Night Troopers eventually break through the blast doors, causing our heroes to hurry on up the- to the next floor, where they run into Morgan Elsbeth waiting for them. Ahsoka commands Sabine and Ezra to keep going as she begins a rematch with Morgan. And Sabine even points out that we're not
2: supposed to split up, and here we are splitting up again, which I was like, oh yep. shit. <laughs> <laughs> This is not gonna end well. Um, now, luckily, that wasn't the case, but I, you know, I, I definitely was a little worried at this point.
1: I mean, I thought Morgan was gonna start throwing out some crazy shadow abilities to fight three of them at once, but you know, they, they kept it a fair one-on-one for for the meantime.
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know how you felt about this. A lot of people were complaining about the fact that Morgan was able to go toe-to-toe with Ahsoka, um, since like you know, Ahsoka's taken out people like Darth Maul before, you know. But I didn't have as much of an issue with that. Like, we saw that Morgan's like more than a capable fighter in, uh, you know, her episode of The Mandalorian, where she goes, you know, up against Ahsoka and holds her own pretty much. So, I mean, the fact that she's powered up now, all this like sister voodoo. Um, and she's got the Blade of Talzin. So I, I don't know. I, I was totally fine with this battle. I thought it was pretty fucking awesome. I thought the fight sequence was pretty fantastic um, and really well choreographed. I mean, it was a hell of a battle.
1: I mean, there was a sword on fire and, you know, she had glowing black eyes. I, I, I just assumed she was, you know, powered up enough to fight Ahsoka on her level. I, yeah. I just assumed. Yeah. And it's, it's not like she won either. So no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> At the top of the spire, Ezra and Sabine run into two larger night troopers that easily toss them around. Sabine being strangled on a wall has her lightsaber knocked from her hand, and in order to stop this zombified trooper from biting her, she finally proves that she can in fact use the force as she gets the blade back to her hand and ignites it through the trooper's skull. First of all, I'm glad that
2: like Romero zombie lore even exists in the galaxy far, far away and it still takes a a shot to the head to take these things out. and these seemed like uh death troopers zombified right like these yeah. were bigger you know stormtroopers, and it it felt like they've been dead for quite a while also because when we get a glimpse of one of them like underneath the helmet it looks like he's pretty much already decayed so um i don't know once again this was just everything i want and more <laughs> <laughs> i just love all the supernatural elements that you know this series have has brought to like the star wars universe i mean they've obviously existed we're just seeing it finally like in live action
1: form as we know nothing in star wars is canon unless we see it in live action ice or or on screen i feel like clone wars like is
2: pretty solid like they don't really retcon a lot of clone wars so
1: well dave filoni's not going to retcon his own work (laughs) (laughs) this is true with the Isilon now connected to the Star Destroyer, it begins ascending away from Sabine and Ezra, while Ahsoka continues to do battle with Morgan Elsbeth. The Star Destroyer now being too far for even a Force jump, Sabine convinces Ezra still to try and make it. As she will push him across the rest of the way. It's a risky move, and she's only provenly used the force once at this point, but Ezra gets propelled onto the Star Destroyer nonetheless. Man, Ezra is one trusted motherfucker. Like, i feel be like, know, right? No, I'm good.
2: <laughs> How about <laughs> you jump and I force push you? Like, <laughs> so after like not being able to tap into the force, you know, up to now like were you surprised like how easily she was able to tap into it like you know after she
1: kind of broke the seal here in this episode i'm giving it like a 70 7030 cuz i'm 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 just going to assume his jump was far enough for her to do enough of a struggle push to get him up over there uh cuz i mean it, he he did almost miss at least i think that's their justification for it but It is a little, a little soon for her to be just force pushing people around.
2: Yeah. I mean, one we've seen, you know, in, you know, the animated series, Azra, Ahsoka, you know, making insane jumps. Uh. So I'm going to agree with you (laughs) and give it a pass. And honestly, like, I know a lot of people were kind of worked up about this, but I'm fine with her unlocking you know, something inside of herself and, you know, being able to give a little force push. It's not like she like single-handedly like held back the Star Destroyer from, you know, going into hyperspace or anything like that. It was just a little like force push, you know, I mean, it's okay.
1: Ahsoka's battle gets interrupted by the troopers that were running up the stairs, and she quickly begins retreating up to the top of the spire, where Sabine is preparing to jump so that she can be pulled up by Ezra. However, she looks back to see her master fighting off Morgan and the troops. Morgan is able to cut through one of Ahsoka's lightsaber hilts, leaving her with only one blade. Morgan looks up to see Thrawn pulling away and tells Ahsoka she will die here alone. But Sabine comes in for the save, slashing through troopers, giving Ahsoka a fair one on one with Morgan. which ends with her defeat at the hands of Ahsoka.
2: So I thought this was a real nice moment between Ahsoka and Sabine, really just like solidifying their relationship as master and apprentice, Um, you know, their bond, if you will. And Morgan went out like a champ.
1: Ezra on board watches on as Sabine and Ahsoka work together on the continuing barrage of troopers. At his feet is a dead night trooper, who he decides is a perfect way to disguise himself while he stays on the ship. Meanwhile, Thrawn takes no chances while leaving and has all batteries fire on the spire.
2: Man, Ezra does not miss an opportunity to cosplay as a a stormtrooper, right? No,
1: never. Hugh Yang then shows up in time to pick up Ahsoka and Sabine and they race after the Star Destroyer, but they lack the speed to really catch up to it. Thrawn opens a comm channel from his ship and explains to Ahsoka how he beat her, knowing her master's strategies all before blasting off into hyperspace. And also taunting her, like saying, you know, perhaps she'll end up, you know, following
2: the same path as her master, which I thought was pretty dark. Um, I'm guessing this probably won't be their last meeting. And when they do meet again, it'll be pretty epic.
1: Upon landing back with the Nodi tribe, Ahsoka sees a familiar owl off in the distance, which quickly afterwards we then get a glimpse of Shin coming across the bandit tribe. And lastly, Balin's skull standing on a statue somewhere farther away, which he seems to be standing on a statue of the father, one of the three mortis gods symbolizing balance, while a statue of the sun representing darkness stands beside it and a headless statue of the daughter stands to its left as Balin looks off into the distance. So this is what like, you
2: know, us and a million other nerds were kind of theorizing about uh last week that you know perhaps what's calling to Balin is you know some form of the Mortis gods. Um, and this pretty much confirms it. Uh, you know, I mean seeing him standing, you know, stoically on you know, the statue of the father was pretty fucking legendary. But with that being said, I will say like my biggest issue with this episode is like we didn't get enough, you know, Shin and Balin. Um to the point where like like, I'm wondering if, like, you know, there was some kind of, like, last-minute edit. Because it just felt a little weird, like, like how little we see of them. Um, especially since they were such a big part of the season. Um, but maybe, you know, they're saving their story for another time. I mean, they're definitely saving their story for another time with, you know, how At things end here, now. right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, like, what route they go with Balin. Obviously, you know... I'm just wondering what route they go with Balin you know especially since you know Ree Stevenson's you know now passed away um, sadly so um, you know do you you think they recast him Um, because big picture wise obviously they have a lot of plans for the
1: character Um, I don't know with that ending it feels like there's just too much on the plate to not have that character there because um, I mean, I feel like like they're totally telegraphing that there's going to be a confrontation between Shin, Balin, and um, Ahsoka, you know, as kind of those three figures. Yes. Yes. Well,
2: and yeah, and I mean, with the last scene alone, I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but you know, she you know tells Sabine that it's time to move on, and to me, it felt like she was saying we have a new mission and it's whatever's in store with you know the Mortis, you know. Or, It obviously has something to do with the Mortis gods. I mean, we talked about it last episode, like, the father is supposed to represent the balance of the Force. The son is supposed to be the dark side of the Force, and the daughter was the light side of the Force. But, you know, the daughter has died, and ever since then, you know, this owl creature that seems to be representing the daughter has been following Ahsoka. Um, because the daughter actually died sacrificing herself, right, for Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. So, um which is, I mean, and we'll get into it, but like the, both the father and son died that episode too, right? I think you're right there, Damon. <laughs> of course I am, Christian. <laughs> um <laughs> No, I, 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 we'll have to go back and watch the episode. It's been uh-huh. a while. Um But I mean, obviously these are cosmic spirits. I, I don't know what, what you want to call them, but I mean so just because it seemed like they're dead doesn't mean they're dead um so i have absolutely no clue where this story is headed um especially when you throw in like the shinhani factor like you know is she gonna be resentful of balin for like leaving her um you know she's probably gonna end up being the leader of this like nomadic tribe i'm guessing um you know i'm sure she's gonna come to odds with ahsoka and sabine also, I'm not sure if you caught this, but I guess people are saying that Balin was looking out at a mountain with a light on it, similar to the one that uh, Anakin sees in you know that Mortis episode.
1: So oh, okay, uh, see, I did I wasn't sure if I was like if there was something out there or not. I just thought he might just be you know lighting from the shot. Yeah, I you know I've
2: just seen screenshots of it because I did not mm-hmm. notice it while watching the episode live. So, um, but apparently there's some kind of connection um i definitely have to go back and watch that fucking mortis episode now so.
1: <laughs> i mean it comes out of nowhere in that season it is really very, does it's so fucking different from everything else it's definitely something you have to rewatch every few years i feel yeah yeah it's a weird episode
2: right um mm-hmm. but obviously more prevalent than ever so
1: but now in a galaxy far far away thrawn with the night mothers approached dothamir with all the cargo they had him haul there While at the same time, an unidentified ship lands at the Republic fleet with a trooper emerging. Hera and company are quick to raise their guns, but it seems Chopper recognizes this trooper as Ezra pulls off his helmet and says hello to Hera as he's finally
2: home. Yeah, it definitely has to be a bittersweet moment for Hera. She finally has Ezra back, but at the same time, she's lost Sabine and Ahsoka now, so...
1: And it might also imply Thrawn's return as well. Well, yes, there is that, and
2: you know... We'll get into that in a little bit, because tone-wise, this this ending was a little strange to me. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was still a really nice moment seeing Hera and Ezra together on screen again. So, you know, or in live action for the first time together, right? I wasn't really expecting Ezra to make it home. um, But you've got to figure that he's going to play a big part in whatever story Filoni chooses to tell going forward with what seems to be, you know, his version of Heir to the Empire, um,
1: I I mean, uh, could
2: we possibly see a Luke Ezra crossover?
1: That's what I was wondering. The moment he got on that ship, I was like, "Is he actually going to meet Luke? Is this going to be a thing?" I mean, I would assume so. I mean, you would think that something as big as Thrawn
2: returning would be an all hands on deck situation and bring out you know your big guns like Luke. So um, yeah, I mean, it's exciting, right? Because I never, <laughs> I never. Uh, imagined you
1: know there being a scene between like ezra and luke that's pretty fucking crazy <laughs> they're probably gonna meet up in a random like either episode of mandalorian or probably. whatever other shows coming up yeah yeah <laughs> back on paridia ahsoka stares off into the shadowy night sky she tells sabine that despite thrawn escaping that she still did well and that thanks to her, Ezra got to where he needed to be, as they are also where they need to be. Ahsoka tells Sabine it's time to move on, as she heads back to the Noti camp. But Sabine then senses something in the distance, and while she ultimately brushes it off, Ahsoka looks more deeply in that direction before turning back to camp, which then is revealed that a ghost of Anakin was watching on as our season comes to a close. I thought this was a nice way to really put a bow on this season. Um...
2: I'm not sure if there's going to be another season. Uh, It it definitely feels like they're setting up for a second season, though. Yeah, there's I mean, (laughs) I mean, there's more questions than answers at this point. And I mean, holy fucking loose ends, Batman. I mean, (laughs) we've got a lot (laughs) of loose ends here, Um, like so many that it feels like it's it'd be too much to kind of all like tie up in just a movie. So, um, there have been rumors that, you know, they, they are, you know, that they are discussing a second season of Ahsoka right now. So I, I guess we'll have to wait and see if that's in the cards. Um, it feels like the show has been a success, um, but you never know streaming numbers wise, you know, what they consider a success anymore, but in a world where they're considering like, you know, not doing a Mando season four, instead just doing a straight up like mandalorian film you would think all the options are on the table right now um you know star wars truly does feel like it's just in flux right now when when it comes to like the direction that they're you know headed in um but anyway uh back to what i was saying about the tone of you know the way this episode ended though did you bump up against this at all because i definitely did because it felt like you know <laughs> Yes, Ezra got back home and Ahsoka was able to obviously confirm this, you know, through the Force. Um, but I mean, with that being said, it did feel a little off putting to me that they were just kind of like, okay, you know, on to the next journey. Um because you would feel like Sabine would be carrying some major guilt for unleashing Thrawn onto her home galaxy. <laughs> Um, you know, even if it meant, you know, also, you know, you know, Ezra's back, you know, like, you know, saving Ezra. I mean, it does feel like Ahsoka realizes that she has a new mission, a new purpose, if you will. Um, and maybe she's conveyed that to Sabine. Um, but I don't know. what, What do you think, Christian?
1: I mean, like you said, I expected a little bit more out of Sabine, out of her reaction to everything going on because uh, there's a lot you can play with there especially with you know us finding out that you know ahsoka had fears of her you know possible turn to the dark side and her you know actually starting to get more in tune with her powers at this point you know the, the amount of guilt that she should be feeling for possibly bringing destruction and death to you know her homeland again yeah uh, war Thrawn. Right. <laughs> yeah war it, it it should be weighing on her a little bit heavier in this sequence but I'm perfectly fine with how Ahsoka was treating the moment. Like, it seemed like that's kind of like what a Jedi Master would be kind of trying to convey to their student without in these sequences, at least. No, I agree. And, and it
2: feels like, you know, intuitively, she knows that, you know, she's needed here now, um, mm-hmm. you know, to deal with with whatever the hell is going down um, on this planet with the, you know, Mortis gods. So, um... But I would have appreciated at least a line or two from Sabine, you know, just expressing some fear and doubt of what she might have possibly unleashed onto her, you know, galaxy uh, in the form of Thrawn, Um, you know, or at least some kind of, like, expression of guilt or something, you know, where maybe the moment becomes more about Ahsoka having to console Sabine um, and, you know, and, and let her know, like, you know, that they have this new mission.
1: But then again, I feel like I need, you know, a season or two to really explain all of what's going to happen next <laughs>
2: <laughs> well we might get that we'll have to wait and see uh-huh. um but regardless of on how they like choose to tell the story you know either in film form or you know series form i mean one thing is definite i mean the shit is about to hit the fan with ron Back. oh yeah so um but you know what in the name of conserving my voice let's go ahead and, you know, move on to our final thoughts and our grades for, you know, the entire season, because we still have to talk wrestling. I don't know if I'm going to make it, Christian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for me, this series felt, you know, like candy, um, you know, as being a massive fan of not only Ahsoka, but, you know, the Clone Wars and Rebels and everything we've gotten up to this point. This was, you know, everything that Filoni had been kind of Showing from those series, it was a sequel to pretty much all of that. So how can, as a fan, I not be excited and happy by this? I see a lot of discourse about the show's pacing online, which I'm pretty surprised by, because I thought, you know, the pacing for this was pretty solid. Um, could there have been more for Balin and Shin by the end of the series? Yes, but I, I'm I feel like they're more, you know, relying on the fact that they can or are building something towards a film by the end of this. Um, that they probably imagine that they're going to have room to tell that story in the future that's just i feel like they're using that as kind of like their crutch to you know not tell that story right away i'm I'm hoping at least that they're going to still have some way of telling that story but for what we got i was still pretty impressed by the show um you know it's lightsaber battles galore fucking action sequences in every single episode and it's all with you know characters that i really love and they fucking built a lightsaber in live action so i can't you know complain it's it was all that i needed for it so with that said i'm gonna give it an a minus so like you said i mean all in all the show
2: really gave me everything i wanted more um i mean we took a much deeper dive into star wars lore than I ever expected and like did some serious world building and at the same time like setting the table for you know some big things to come um I mean so much of this series too hinged on how like well these you know beloved animated characters would be interpreted in live action form and I thought like across the board they pretty much delivered um while at the same time like introducing some new characters who are now amongst like some of my favorites like i can't wait to see what happens with Balin and shin um i mean dave filoni has knocked it out of the park and you know just give him the keys to the franchise already uh so i mean i'm gonna go ahead and also give you know ahsoka an a minus i mean goddamn! i mean Filoni's about to probably give us a war between thrawn in his night troopers and night sisters like you know going against the mandalorians who you know will probably get aid from you know ezra bridger and maybe even luke skywalker um you know a nerd can dream i mean what more could you possibly ask for i thought this season was amazing and way outperformed by expectations
1: long live dave filoni christian give him the crown goddamn it absolutely i mean i wouldn't be surprised if they make like a trilogy of films based off of his content in the future. I, think, I mean,
2: I mean, why not I can do it now? Yeah. I mean,
1: why not? Like you could do a whole era
2: of the empire trilogy. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't want that? All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional basis every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day, and I wanted a supplement that actually
1: tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day, and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I've found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been
2: drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even helped improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins probiotics, and whole food source nutrients.
1: AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so
2: it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single-serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice-cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple.
1: If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerd show once again to get a free one year supply of vitamin D and
2: five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerd show that's drinkag1.com nerdshow nerd show and check it out
0: and now for the nerd's highlights and review of the premiere for Loki season two heavy spoilers ahead you have been warned I, I keep disappearing. We don't, don't have, have time. time.
1: <laughs> you just disappeared. I know. And I can't keep looking at it because it's horrible. What? I thought we said didn't know that bad. I was lying. It, it's terrible. It looks like you're being born or dying or both at the same time. It's really, it's freaking me out. It's okay. It's, it's actually really painful. It's not that bad. I can handle it? it. How does it look? After a two year wait, we finally got the start of Loki season two this week, so let's talk some of the big highlights for the premiere, which kicked off right where we left off with Loki getting kicked through a time door back to the TVA, except this time around B-15 and Mobius don't recall who Loki is here. This was something I originally thought was going to be due to Sylvie having kicked started you know, a whole new multiverse, but actually the case is that Loki was taken back to the past and is now somehow time slipping between the past, present, and future inside the TVA, which should be technically impossible. This sets up the premise for Episode 1 as Mobius tries to get Loki to remain in the present. I have to say the role of Mobius still just seems like it was tailor-made for owen wilson i mean he steals the show and every scene that he's in and his chemistry with tom hiddleston as loki is so enjoyable to watch and i'm glad to see that they've continued that you know same energy here in the second season but speaking of the scene stealers um, we meet kind of the you know it maintenance guy for the entire tva in ki kwan's character or a boris aka OB, that at least in the first episode was a charming addition that played greatly off the dynamics of Loki and Mobius. Ob in helping Loki also unveils the temporal loom, which is being overloaded trying to take in all the new timelines created after Sylvie's choice. In its current state, the loom cannot handle the amount of variant timelines it's you know trying to weave together into one history, which you know, could cause catastrophe or most likely incursions. That's just my running theory at the moment. Ob suggests you know pruning the timelines so that the loom can work properly, but be 15's dead set on protecting all those lives within all those universes after finding out that she was you know once a variant before being ripped from her universe as well ob then suggests you know he will have to find some way to configure the loom to be able to handle all these timelines it's attempting to weave at the same time though in order to stop loki from time slipping he must prune himself at the right time so that a device can pull his molecular structure from the temporal loom of course right Right before they can actually start working on this, Loki gets ripped into the future and struggles to find another prune stick to use for when Mobius has the device actually in place. He narrowly runs out of time, but Sylvie is able to actually find him after getting a quick reveal from an elevator, and someone prunes him from behind. At least that's how it looked like to me. Now, if I'm guessing, I'm assuming Loki will be pruning himself... You know, his past self in the future after he and Sylvie team up. Otherwise, uh, we probably wouldn't have seen the glow of the prune stick hitting Loki from behind. You know, it would have came from the front if Sylvie was the one doing it. We also see in this episode that Sylvie has, you know, two very distinct different looks, as in, the after credits, we see her kind of the same look that we saw when she was killing Kang. But here in the future segment, she has a whole mullet and different clothes. You know, I don't know if it was to fit in with the TVA area or what, but we do know that she ends up in 1982 by the end of the show in some other variant universe. Another thing about the future, um, which can be changed, it seems, but it's clear whatever they're doing to try and fix the loom, may actually fail as all of the TVA was falling apart at that point in time. I'm thinking since you know we're still heading towards incursions and secret wars, it's that this season will end up in a very dark place and that the loom itself will be destroyed which honestly wouldn't be any different from what happened in the first season. But now with Loki contained, it seems in the present, um, he and Mobius are going to set out to find Sylvie. But at the same time, there seems to now be this kind of splinter faction within the TVA that wants to continue doing the original mission that Kang had actually set out for this place, You know, with making the perfect timeline. And in their eyes, the first thing that they need to take care of is Sylvie. So it's gonna be a race against time and then probably the next episode to find her. But again, overall, Loki feels like an incredibly important piece to the MCU and its current direction towards you know, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. This episode's pace had me on the edge of my seat as I was incredibly fearful for some of our characters as they risked it all trying to fix Loki. And by the episode's end, I was more than ready to get through this entire show as it hooked me immediately with this setup. I continue to love the overall style of the show and I think this season is primed to be, you know, even better than the first, but we will see if that's true as we go through each episode with you guys weekly here with our breakdowns of the show now that Ahsoka is finished join us next week for a full breakdown of episode two but for now I'm still super happy to have this show back and have to say that if you were having any reservations about starting this one up you know if you had any issues with the MCU recently this show feels perfect and feels like a must watch for any MCU fan.
0: And now for a review of Saw X mild spoilers ahead.
1: And now, our feature presentation. The only thing I have not provided is your anesthetic. But trust me, you will want to remain alert. Saw X returns for Halloween season as a sick and desperate John Kramer travels to Mexico for a risky and experimental procedure in hope of getting a miracle cure for his cancer. But unfortunately for all those involved, they try to scam not only the most vulnerable, but a man like Jigsaw. The film is directed by Kevin Gutierre and stars Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith as they return for their roles as John and Amanda, set back you know, before the events of Saw 3, of course. Uh, this film, in many ways, is a they return to form for the franchise after we got several films without our main character John Kramer and then a film like Spiral. Um, the producers themselves have admitted killing off John in the third film was probably their biggest mistake in terms of you know longevity of the franchise, but getting Tobin Bell back here for this entry has definitely brought some fresh air back into this. He may be a bit older now, but I felt like this style of film naturally is able to cut around some of his clearly slower movements from you know the last time we saw him in one of these films. I think what surprised me the most though about this one was how much more they angled him to be kind of the anti-hero. I mean, they really built up our villain Dr. Pedersen as played by Sanofi McC cadi lund which i hope i said that correctly but uh who has hired all these people to do kind of a fake procedure and steal money from terminally ill patients for you know the first half of the film we mostly spend our time watching john kramer get his hopes up and then crushed by the sudden realization of what has actually been done to him i mean honestly anyone who's dealt with you know the harsh realities of cancer can easily be endured to Kramer in this moment which makes his revenge oh so sweet one of the actual detractors though for me with this film however was you know Amanda's return um I wasn't all that into Shani Smith's performance as it felt kind of wooden here especially in comparison to where she was as a character in Saw 2 um her reveal comes pretty fast and then just kind of drags as we see her having this kind of crisis of faith with one of the victims being a drug addict like she was um for me i felt like amanda's character would have rather been you know seeing someone be saved by her hero jigsaw rather than trying to actually help them survive but again this is supposed to be a version of amanda who's still only just begun helping john so maybe she just isn't hundred percent in it yet i don't know i'm trying to give it a pass there definitely was one of the lowlights of this film the kills themselves um while intense as always were definitely less outlandish than you know some of the later installments and felt a little bit more of what we would have expected from kind of those earlier films so I don't feel like you'll be disappointed, but don't expect anything like super crazy with motorcycles and bullshit like that. It definitely had a much more grounded approach with a lot of these traps, in my opinion. But at the same time, it was also very much fun to again, get to like talk with my family about these situations and how either I would you know just succumb to death or actually survive. And that's one of the best parts about Saw in general is just like you as the viewer, you know, putting yourself in these victims' shoes. Um, the ending itself was a little easy to telegraph once you know it's all in motion. But at this point, I think you were more satisfied to see Kramer coming out on top. Even as a sadistic fuck, this film by the end does a huge you know, amount to make John Kramer seem more like the Punisher than a serial killer in comparison to the rest of the franchise, which didn't actually bother me. You know, it wasn't at the same degree as Don't Breathe, where it just felt like such a massive departure for the character. And I think it's something that we've already established with Saw. He's really going after people that need a big change in their lives, (laughs) so to sort of speak. But these guys were really just being as despicable as possible. So it just felt more justified than, you know, the average Saw film. But anyway, for this return to Saw, I'm going to be giving this a B minus. I still recommend it to most Saw fans. In my eyes, it's great to see, you know, Saw back during the Halloween season. Uh, So be like me, bring the whole family around and enjoy some Saw X.
0: And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah!
1: All right, this week in gaming, I want to talk about something that kind of dropped last week that we didn't really get into. Um, and that was that the Knights of the Old Republic remake, you know, might not actually be in the works anymore. Um, most of its promotional material has either been, you know, delisted or just completely erased from you know YouTube and other sites like that. Um and it really Begs you to infer that the game just might no longer be in the works, especially with everything that's been going on um, with the bracer group lately. Who have been kind of selling off a lot of their big purchase studios um as of late and it's definitely caused a bit of turmoil towards you know games currently in production um it would be a shame to not get this you know knights of the old republic games are still to this day some of the best stories in star wars and they definitely deserve some hd treatment but right now things just aren't looking all that good for it i believe it was a aspire that was supposed to be working on it But again, um, we'll see what happens here. Um, Another story that caught my eye, while not necessarily a game, but it's about the potential for a Cyberpunk 2077 live action project. CD Projekt Red, according to Collider, is teaming up with anonymous contents Ryan Schwartz and David Levine who oversaw projects for HBO like Westworld and True Blood. It's unclear at this time if this would be another project set in the universe of Cyberpunk 2077 or if it would follow the story of V and Johnny Silverhand as the game did. But nonetheless, the developers have seen a huge amount of success thanks to, you know, Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix and if they were to get a live action series of decent quality that could easily continue to draw people towards this game especially during a time when the studio is currently working towards making that sequel now the cyberpunk you know 2.0 patch that had been promised forever now has finally dropped along with its expansion phantom liberty and are both receiving massive praise for re you know invigorating the game you know some people are saying it's a whole new experience at this point Which is wild to think that a few years ago um you know it was considered one of the worst launches of all time so it's been pretty exciting to watch this game you know kind of rise to the occasion over the years along with the modding community that have kept this game alive all this time i personally hope to be playing the expansion uh, with you guys sometime in winter Uh, we are quite busy this fall with you know the approaching release of spider-man 2 uh um, moral combat's out and i still need to get that and we are still currently playing starfield on stream so make sure to join us live each week as we usually stream you know if we can saturdays through thursday all depending on my schedule right now but we're neck deep in starfield as, as we continue to do the uc vanguard side missions a demo for robocop rogue city just dropped as well so we may actually check that out this weekend if we can but with all that said let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling
2: So I am out here hat in hand, and I am asking you, let's do it. Let's end our careers together as a team, let's show them all what we can do. Oh, fuck yourself All right, so this past weekend we had AEW's Wrestle Dream, which featured the debut of the former Edge, Adam Copeland. All in all, I thought it was a fantastic show, uh in a string of fantastic shows uh, of late from AEW. I mean, this is like four straight right now pay-per-view wise uh so i mean they've got a little streak going that's for sure not that they've ever put on a bad show but like these have all been you know exceptional shows uh and this wrestle dream was good yeah it was good yeah no um you know especially without it like featuring a world title match too um i don't know what the plan is moving forward i don't know if like these secondary pay-per-views are going to be more of this ilk and you know You know, we'll see more of those like secondary titles kind of featured and then, you know, they'll save like the big title matches for like, you know, the big four pay-per-views, which, you know, I'm guessing is, you know, double or nothing and, you know, your all-ins and what? uh, Full gear. Yeah, there we go. Full gear, revolution, right? Those are the big four, right? Revolution? Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. So, and everything
2: else, you know, I'm guessing it's kind of like, they're kind of seen as they're like, you know, backlashes and no mercies, if you will. Which honestly, like, if they're all like what we got with Wrestle Dream and All Out, I'm fine with it. Because I, I do feel like it kind of like, allows you to build other wrestlers and, you know, those belts up, you know, those secondary titles to, you know, be a little more meaningful. Um, Because, you know, now we've had like, you know, not only the TNT title defended, you know, in the main event of a pay-per-view, but we've also had the, you know, international title defended at a pay-per-view. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe one day, uh, you know, a women's title will be
1: (laughs) defended on a pay-per-view. But who am I kidding? Um, I mean, if they're gonna do this many pay-per-views, they might as well at least once. We'll or see twice now. Tony's still
2: saying that he's not he's not committed to twelve per year. Mm. So at least that that's what came out at the uh, press conference. Now, if Warner Brothers throws him, you know, a bigger contract, I'm sure his tune will change. Uh, and then you know, maybe you're right. Maybe then we'll get like you know the the women's title defended in the main event. Um, but it's gotta be a pretty big fucking match. So, but anyway, let's go ahead and let's talk about the aftermath of, you know, Wrestle Dream since the, you know, the pay-per-view was almost a week ago. We're not going to go through a few, a full review or anything like that. And since we're recording on Thursday, we're going to use Dynamite as kind of a guide, uh, to get through it all. So, uh, what was the first match on, uh, Dynamite or it wasn't even a match, right? It was an interview with Jericho and, uh, Omega, with with the surprise Yeah, they guest. were talking
1: with um Renee, and then out of nowhere uh came in Adam Copeland, who was a kind of a big piece of what happened at WrestleDream.
2: Yeah, I mean this was a cool moment. I feel like you probably could have done it in the ring to make it bigger. Um, I know that's a very WWE thing to do, but at the same time, you know, you're debuting, you know, this Hall of Fame legend in your company. Um, So I don't know. It feels like it should have, you know, his first time on screen for dynamite should have, you know, been a little grander than, you know, some kind of walk in, in the middle of an interview backstage. So I was kind of surprised by this. It was a cute moment and everything like that, but I guess, you know, that would be bookending, you know, the show with, you know, you know, edge, but, that's pretty much what they did anyway, so why the fuck not do it in the middle of the ring and make it feel like a bigger moment?
1: Maybe they're trying to make it feel different from the first time we had Punk on the show, because, I mean, they pretty much started it with Punk, his first, you know, appearance. But I get what you're saying. And either way, they're going for that same ratings pop, um, <laughs> having him show up right at the start and, I,
2: and having me close yeah, the out. Yeah, but at the same time, like, I don't feel like you're going to get that pop with a backstage interview
1: that, you know, mm-hmm. didn't start with Edge either. So, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. It it was a choice. With that said, our first match actually was Ray Phoenix defeating Nick Jackson to retain the AEW international title. So I actually thought Nick
2: was going to win here uh, just because we've heard tons of reports that Ray's pretty banged up. Uh, But then it was announced that we're going to see Ray versus Moxley next week on the uh, Tuesday night of champions or the hell they're calling it. Um, They've been preempted to Tuesday because of, I think, the baseball playoffs, Uh, but they're going head to head against NXT, who actually beat them in the overall ratings this week. Um, So they're going to be putting on the biggest show that they could possibly put Uh on. Um, But part of me, I don't know, I would have much rather see like Nick Jackson versus Moxley than Phoenix again against Moxley. Something different and fresh, and like be kind of cool to see Nick get like kind of a a solo push, um, you know, a singles push, but that just doesn't seem like it's in the cards. I mean, I I think he said something like, uh, Nick said uh, he's only wrestled like four single matches in AEW, which is fucking crazy. (laughs) The company's been around for four years. That's yeah. insane. I'm
1: actually surprised because I thought there was like a small period where um, Matt was out and he couldn't you know, do tags. So he was doing more matches. But maybe. Yeah, he, I guess it's only a couple.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. It just feels almost like a waste. There's tons of like dream matches on the table there, Tony. What are we doing? But maybe it's just a, a you know, Nick's preference. You know, he doesn't want to wrestle singles for some reason.
1: But, yeah, uh, with this match, it felt like they were angling definitely for Nick Jackson to win, especially with, like, him uh, with Ray Phoenix being, you know, practically pulled, well, actually pulled out of the a pay-per-view match just because they were, you know, amping up the, I- I'm assuming, the injury that he's got going on with his back. Well, they were actually trying
2: to preserve him so he could make it to this match.
1: Gotcha. So, that uh-huh. that's
2: why. Um but apparently they needed to preserve him for two two matches. So um, it makes sense in the long run. I just, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like Nick, Nick Jackson versus Moxley, like that outcome is a little more unpredictable than, um, you know, Ray versus Moxley. Yeah, because you know Moxley's going to roll over him like so it, fast. Exactly. And, you know, especially knowing that like Moxley was never
1: supposed to lose the title in the first place. Uh, so i don't know it is what uh, speaking of quick matches uh up next we had wardlow defeating griff garrison via knockout so i feel like this is like the fifth like re-debut of wardlow
2: um and we're (laughs) we're still doing the same old shit um he seemed a lot angrier there was nothing there was no
1: there was no reason why he was out right no it's a match no no i'm saying like why He hasn't been on television. No, for like the last, the last the time
2: we saw him, he lost the TNT title to Luchasaurus. I think mm-hmm. it was on the debut episode of Collision, actually. Um, but from what I know, there was no injury or anything like that, you know. Um, at least that there's nothing that's been reported, so yeah, I have no idea why they benched him, it doesn't make any sense. Um it seems like his character is now a lot more angry. Um, it, I don't know. So maybe there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Like he left through the crowd. Um, he nearly killed uh, Griff. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, could this be a heel turn for Wardlow? Could we get a heel Wardlow versus MJF somewhere down the line? I mean, Wardlow... Holds a pretty decisive win over MJF. So you would think that he would be coming for MJF at this point with him being the world champion. Um, But at the same time, you would also think that he'd need to get revenge against Luchasaurus. Uh, But they could, you know, they could do that in passing and, you know, still, you know, tell the story of, you know, Wardlow and MJF. Uh, you know, they definitely have a lot of work in front of them, though, because they, they've got to reheat him big time. Uh-huh. But, like, I don't know, wrestling fans are wrestling fans. So I, you do this a couple weeks in a row, you know, <laughs> it, it, it felt like they were already, like, back on board
1: the Wardlow train. So, you know, Tony just needs to keep it simple, right? And speaking of the, you know, MJF angles going on right now, I, I forgot to mention that there was footage of Adam Cole visiting Roderick Strong at his home uh, to help move some furniture, even though he's got an injured ankle. Yes, and no one could hear any of this. Um, yes. Because <laughs> TBS
2: apparently sucks. Uh, last week, everyone was turning to fucking Autobots and Decepticons. And then this week, there was just no audio altogether. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Uh, my DVR almost didn't record Dynamite. Uh, I got the heads up last minute that there was issues with uh, how they had the title of the show. So I was able to go in and, you know, make sure that I actually recorded what it was supposed to. But come on, TBS. What the fuck? Like, talk about stepping on your own dick. What, what are we doing? Like, you know, <laughs> TBS has
1: been around for how long and they still don't know how to do this shit right? <laughs> I don't know. Because they've done plenty of live, yes, live shows. Yes, it's, all the time.
2: It was called Nitro. <laughs> uh-huh. It was really successful for quite a
1: while. <laughs> Eight two weeks, I hear. We also had another backstage moment with Renee. Uh, this one had Don Callis and Takeshita um, pretty much announcing that Sammy Guevara wasn't going to be in uh, tonight. They had to replace him with Kyle Fletcher. Yes, uh, Sammy has a legitimate injury.
2: I guess he got a concussion at the pay-per-view. Um... You know, I I thought the pay-per-view match itself was great. Um, I do hope that they start to feature Takeshita more as a major threat. And, you know, not just like, I mean, he stands out in these matches, but I don't feel like he stands out enough. And I feel like Don gets all the heat. You know, Mm -hmm. with this faction, and they need to start putting that focus more on Takeshita because I feel like this faction should solely exist to get Takeshita over. Um, and right now it just kind of feels like he's getting lost in the shuffle. So, um, but you know, this match was more of the same. Um, you know, it was a way to kind of give Jericho and Omega a win without pinning either Takeshita or Guevara. So, I mean, it is what it is. And then after the match, we saw the, you know, debut of powerhouse Hobbs, who is apparently now part of the family, which I feel like is a good fit. Um, But once again, I get a little worried about Takeshita getting lost in the shuffle Uh, because, you know, Guevara is a heat magnet. Callis is a heat magnet. And I mean, Hobbs is just a fucking monster. So, I mean, they need to give Takeshita some big like one on one wins, I feel like.
1: Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. I mean, but tag matches with with, ta- uh, with Takesha and Hobbs is going to be fantastic. I mean, I, I love watching those matches.
2: Those are going to be intense. No, I agree 100%. I just want, mm-hmm. like, when all is said and done, once this program is over, Takesha needs to be a main event player. And if he's not a main event player, after being in a program with Jericho and Omega for this long of a period of time, then this program is a failure. So, I mean, I, I just want them to focus a little more on Takeshta. You know, show us why, you know, he's a talent that, you know, Callis couldn't pass up and he was willing to betray his friendship, you know, with, you know, people like Jericho and Omega, who's been friends with for, you know, decades at this point. So, um Takasha should be the focal point. Like hell, I wouldn't mind him like turning on, on uh Osprey. You know, have the family turn on Osprey. Uh, you know, they'll get them tons of heat and give Takesha a win over Osprey. You know, I don't know if New Japan would like that. <laughs> That'd be a
1: big deal, you know? Is Takeshi going to be a part of any of the big events like G1 or anything uh, in the upcoming year? Oh, we don't. I mean, it's so far out at this
2: point. I mean, eventually, (laughs) maybe. I don't know how, you know, politic wise. I don't know if that would work because I don't know if he still has eyes with uh, DDT or, you know, how all that works. But I mean, they just did G1. So that's a while away. Uh I mean, I could see him maybe being featured in like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. But my guess is you're getting Omega versus Osprey again. You know, you're going to have to rematch. Likely, yeah. You know?
1: Another match we had on the card was the Acclaimed and Daddy Ass going up against the Butcher, the Blade, and Kip Saban. Uh, Full disclosure, this is the only match I fast-forwarded through. Uh, (laughs) I I, I knew the Acclaimed wasn't going to lose. Uh, I just moved on. Well, enough said. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Because I felt the same way. I didn't fast-forward through it, but there's not much to say here.
1: We then got a uh, video package of Tony Storm, uh, Kind of losing it on RJ. City. Kind of losing uh- <laughs> it. What?
2: <laughs> she fucking lost it, man. I love every second of all this. Like this yes. this has been amazing. These uh like interview segments between RJ City and uh Tony Storm. Um, you know, building up to like this moment where, you know, she reveals her new name, which is Timeless Tony Storm. Yes. Yes. Um she's just the total package. Um she's going to be incredibly over. She is incredibly over, but I mean sky's the limit for this new character. I like that we're seeing more characters out of the women's division. Mm-hmm. You know between, you know Tony Storm and Julia Hart and like Willow and Athena and Ring of Honor, I mean invest in their characters and you know people will, you know actually show interest. Um you know if you don't give them the time you know to, you know with segments like this it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy like you know the the women's division's not going to be successful but if you invest time in it then you know people are going to actually care so because you're showing that you fucking care um but timeless tony storm is one of the best things AEW has going right now so hopefully you don't fuck it up i mean
1: speaking of this you know and and getting to uh timeless tony storm versus sky blue Sky Blue came out, you know, kind of toned down uh, compared to her usual self. And, you know, we do know that Julia Hart spit the mist in her yes. face. Her and Willow have both been showing these kind of darker signs yeah. yeah, of turning. I, I don't need that to happen. I don't.
2: <laughs> you know, maybe Julia gets a minion like one. Although that's kind of like Athena's gimmick right now, right? Like she's got all these minions on Ring of Honor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like they'll shake it off right <laughs> i mean the one thing that i will say like you know after watching wrestle dream is just just how over julia hart is um people really seem to want her to actually be chris statlander which i was surprised yeah. by because chris was so over just like a couple months back um but you know it, julia's character is fantastic and she's putting it together in the ring so i don't know like you know, let's spotlight some of these wrestlers.
1: It was that moonsault spot where the crowd just erupted for Julia Hart. I was so surprised how much that they were going against Statlander that moment. And why that
2: worked is because they actually built Julia up on screen for a couple weeks and they had her yes. hitting that fucking moonsault. So many times in the past, they would have these title matches and it would just be cold TV wise because you know half of these women who are getting these like you know title shots we hadn't seen on tv you know like it'd be like oh you know so-and-so's you know 25 and 3 this year and we're like what what like we haven't seen her mm. on tv this entire year and you'd find out it was all on like dark and elevation um you know and maybe maybe they'd get an interview segment and then all of a sudden they're in a, a, a title match you know on dynamite <laughs> So the fact that they were able to build up Julia on screen for a couple weeks, you know, led to that moment at the pay-per-view. So I mean, do more of this, Tony.
1: Uh we also had a moment in the ring where Juice Robinson, the guns, started, you know, really goading MJF to come out, and eventually he did. Yeah, I didn't really like this. Um, I, I kind of felt
2: like it made MJF look like a stupid babyface. Like, why the hell would he challenge these guys
1: <laughs> to a street fight? Mm-hmm. Right? Like it, it felt very against him. Yeah, you know, like he usually outsmarts that kind of shit. I was almost expecting,
2: like you know, the masked men from uh, last week's Dynamite to show up and attack, you know, Gold. Um, you know, I don't know if they'd be working with you know MJF, but I just I was like, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like I was like, this doesn't make any sense for MJF as a character. So um, it was just a bit strange. And speaking of with this this week, we did not get any kind of follow up whatsoever on, you know, that situation, you know, with the masked, you know, men, you know, jumping MJF, like, you know, you had Bullet Club Gold, you know, mentioning and talking about it and how they, you know, basically thought it was Max. Um, but that was pretty much it. There were no, like, little breadcrumbs or hints or anything mm. like that. So I'm guessing that's going to be some serious long-form storytelling. And I'm wondering if part of that's, you know, because of Adam Cole's, you know, injury right now. I'm sure that threw a wrench into their plans. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how long they can stretch all this out.
1: Um, MJF does get attacked at the end of this segment, uh, by Jay white. Um, and pretty much this is just to confirm that they're going to be having their match at full gear on November 18th. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they've
2: announced the pay-per-view this far out. That hasn't been the trend lately when it comes to them Mm -hmm. and pay-per-views, they've been pretty much waiting to like, you know, two weeks, one
1: week out. um, Another backstage moment with Renee. This time it's Hook and Orange Cassidy, uh, where Hook is pretty much telling Orange Cassidy he should have had another title shot um up against Phoenix, but Cassidy just kind of, you know, up begrudgedly, uh it's just like whatever about it. But he did, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, bring up the point that,
2: yeah, you know, what I was only, you know, champion for what, like nine months or something like that. And Moxley sure Eleven. sure he's only had the, you know, belt for two weeks, you know, but yeah, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a good fucking point. It doesn't make any sense, booking-wise. <laughs> uh, but one thing that is absolutely evident is that Cassidy is going to be feuded with Moxley, um, you know, after he regains that belt. So that that's definitely happening. Uh, but I'm also wondering, like, if he doesn't turn around and challenge Hook, you know, for his title. You know, could,
1: I mean, is that something you'd want to see? Um, I don't know, because I feel like that's, that feels heelish for Orange Cassidy at that point, just be like to turn on Hook so quickly. Yeah, but it could be kind of like half-hearted,
2: like just like a challenge, not like a turn, if you will. Well, why don't you give me a title shot? Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I'm sure
2: Hook would just you know nod and just keep on eating chips. So,
1: uh-huh. um, I uh, don't know. At least at Wrestle Dream, it felt like you know Orange Cassidy still had a little bit more of an edge to him. Like he immediately started attacking, he didn't play into his gimmicks right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was
2: almost desperate, right? Um mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to be a story that they continue to tell, you know, until he finally faces off against Moxley. So, I mean, it was a great match, so I expect a fantastic program.
1: All right, up next was the actual placement of the Kenny Omega and uh, Jericho to catch the match, but we already talked about it. And don't don't forget Kyle Fletcher.
2: Um, I will say, speaking of which, Kyle Fletcher did get a lot of time to shine here um, to the point where I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe he's going to join the family also, which would make sense since he's part of Aussie Open and osi open is aligned with osprey who we know is part of the family uh, but like right afterwards like callus was blaming um him <laughs> yes. for the loss so i
1: was like oh, well, he screwed okay. my family yes <laughs> yes <laughs> I was like well i guess that's not happening after that we had a backstage moment with mjf in the trainer's office max caster for some reason comes in tries to give him a shoulder rub uh mjf freaks out about it and then decides he needs to call adam cole I uh, can't do all this shit alone. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Adam Cole sends him to voicemail. Yeah, this is an online bit
2: that is now transitioned over to the screen uh, hmm. between Max Caster and MJF. Max is constantly harassing, sexually harassing MJF online. Um, but yeah, I, I guess they wanted to do it on the screen for some reason too uh, I don't think this is going to end up you know adding up to anything in the long no. run but <laughs> it is what it is Max, Max and um, Max Caster, MJF and Max Caster they actually trained together so, um, so my guess is this was just two guys having fun
1: uh, we also had a vignette of Samoa Joe pretty much saying you know he wants to be back as champion uh, saying that he's hungry for it Um, I don't foresee him feuding with MGF. I'm wondering
2: if he's going to go after Kingston, though, since Kingston's the uh, ROH world champion.
1: Possible. We did get a a little package from uh, Stokely Hathaway uh, a little bit later on about the fatal four-way that's going to be happening on Rampage to determine who will have earned a shot for the Ring of Honor world title. Um, this is gonna be between Johnny TV Commander, Lynch Dorado, and uh Penta L Zero. I keep forgetting that um Johnny TV is a part of AEW right now. Yeah, it's really
2: weird, right? Mm-hmm. Um he's such a like, I don't know, like afterthought. Um I'm wondering what kind of contract he has. Did he even get, like, the All Elite's graphic and shit? I mean, th- they just show the
1: Rampage graphic, pretty much, So they're all just standing in front of
2: it. Yeah, I mean, AEW's treating him like WWE treated him, which, I don't know, is <laughs> pretty much like a lower mid-card guy. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm surprised about that, because, I mean, say what you will about him, but, like, Morrison, like, he can go, and, like, he's been
1: world champion in other, like, you know, companies. So this just kind of feels like a waste to me. I don't know. I was more focusing on um, Hathaway bringing up that Kingston <laughs> smells like Burger King and Newports. <laughs> and you know what's funny about it? I bet he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe that one. Because
2: <laughs> yes. we all have that friend in our life who smells like Burger King and Newports, uh-huh. and they look exactly like Eddie Kingston.
1: So. <laughs> Uh, Last but not least, we didn't have a match for the main event. We had Adam Copeland addressing the AEW universe.
2: Yeah, he came out and, you know, gave his mission statements and, you know, explained why he was there. Um, You know, uh, he brought out Christian. You know, he told Christian basically that he wants to end his career teaming with him. Um, You know, told them exactly what he means to him, Um, you know, how they've been, you know, together pretty much on and off for over 30 years at this point, I believe he said. He then went on to explain why he interfered uh, with, you know, Christian attacking Darby and uh, Sting. Uh, You know, he, he basically said he couldn't stand seeing, you know, you know, Christian about to concerto Sting, who, you know, used to be a childhood hero of theirs uh i'm totally you know simplifying the story but it is what it is i'm tired and my throat is killing me so um (laughs) (laughs) he basically makes an offer to you know team with christian again and he basically pleads with christian to snap out of it and you know you know let's end this ride together um and prove why you know they're considered one of the best tag teams to ever do it uh you know it was a heartfelt speech, but with that being said, you could tell that, you know, it wasn't even registering with Christian. <laughs> he he just, was
1: faking it a you know, little bit.
2: Uh, <laughs> he stood out there just, you know, looking like a dick like he always does. I mean, he even said it in the promo, but I mean, I guess you're right. He did fake the hug with, you know, Edge, but then he gave his answer, which was go fuck yourself, <laughs> which was bleeped out by the censors. But you could tell exactly what he said um, you know they posted it online unbleeped. That's crazy. Um and I and Tony I think actually posted it, like quote tweeted it. So um I mean it
1: was a cool moment, but a real
2: Strange way to end the show, I thought. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we know next week we're going to see, uh, you know, Edge versus Luchasaurus or Adam Copeland, I should say, versus Luchasaurus uh, on that big, you know, Tuesday night Dynamite. Um, they're definitely trying to pop that rating once again against X- NXT. Uh, they also
1: announced uh, a couple other matches, right, Christian? Yeah, the, it's Swerve Strickland versus Brian Danielson in a number one contendership match for the TNT title. Uh, we talked about it earlier. There's Moxley versus Ray Phoenix. Um, Soraya is going to apparently be defending her AEW women's title against Sheeta. Uh, Hobbs is going up against Jericho. And then we also have Switchblade Jay White versus Hangman Adam Page.
2: Which we totally forgot to mention the match uh at
1: WrestleDream versus uh Swerve and
2: Hangman. Uh Swerve picked up the big win. Hopefully this will kind of catapult him into, you know, you know, the upper echelon of AEW where he belongs. Um, you know, he's white hot right now and I could see them getting him ready for, you know, a possible title match against MJF in the near future because MJF is going to need opponents. But with that being said, I'm a little wary against him facing off against Brian Danielson uh, for a title, a TNT title shot, um, you know, especially since Christian holds that belt. Um, it feels like, you know, you know, Brian should be a shoe in, you know, to beat, you know, Strickland uh, because of that. Uh, just because I can't foresee them having heel versus heel in that match. Um, so I just, I, I don't know. Like, it's for me, it's just too soon to see Swerve lose after such a big win. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe Swerve will go over on Brian Because we know Brian has no problem doing the honors. Mm-hmm. I mean, Swerve does have ties with Nick Wayne, who is now aligned with Christian. We didn't even talk about that, I don't think. Um, so... I mean, I guess it could work story-wise. Also, I thought it was interesting that they're having Paige face off against Jay White cuz it just feels like Jay White is not going to lose that match. So, no. I have a feeling they're going to continue kind of like this like, you know, downfall storyline for, you know, Hangman until he can get things back on track again. Um, you know, so that that'd be two big losses in a row, you know, for Paige. So um, it just feels like where they're probably headed. I don't know if we'll, you know, go as far as like him turn heel or, you know, whatnot. But, you know, I, I feel like he's going to hit rock bottom um, sooner than later. And that's and only then will we see
1: him start to like raise up the ranks again, um, you know, and get his mojo back. I won't be surprised if it's another storyline where he turns against the Bucks just because they're in a trios, you know, thing together right now as well. God, I forgot that even happened. I mean, how many years ago was that at
2: this point? You know, he basically like it was more of a, a situation where he's being like manipulated too. It was even like a full uh-huh. like heel turn because <laughs> I think he was pretty much apologizing like, you know, the next week. So, um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I mean, a heel Adam page would be pretty cool. Like we I don't think we've ever I don't think we've ever really seen that in the AEW. No. Yeah, and we also have Soraya versus uh Sheeta, which Sheeta just won a number one contender's match, you know, to you know uh you know get this big match on Tuesday. Um I'm guessing Surreya though goes over. It's just too early in her title reign, you know, to lose the belt. But I mean I've been wrong before, so and I, I wouldn't mind seeing Sheeta regain, honestly.
1: Um, We said that about Sheeta, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
2: Um, You know, I mean, do we see an appearance by Mercedes Monet? You know, is that a possibility?
1: Um, I mean, I feel like they want to boost the ratings. because I do
2: feel like, you know, one of the reasons Rhea has that belt right now is for that eventual feud. Um, And that seems to be a storyline that both of them want to work. Uh, So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, I, 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 believe the last we heard that, you know, I mean, I do believe the last we heard was that, um, Mercedes was still wearing the cast, uh, on her ankle, but who knows? I mean, she could also be trying to work people. So
1: yeah. How do we know it's a real cast? I need proof. That's right. Damn it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, for all we know, it's like cowboy, you know, Bob Orton's cast, right? So anyway, when all said and done, like after this weekend, I mean, it was, it's pretty apparent that AEW has a lot of great things on the horizon. And I definitely feel like the future's bright. Well, that does it for this week.
1: As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to also, grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just file the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media,
2: we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States.
1: All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd
0: Show.
2: How many did you see? 14,605.
0: How many we win?